Welcome back to the next podcast in our series entitled A View from the Practitioners Aim at 25, during which members of the Stevenson Harwood Equity Capital Markets team talk to some of the contributing authors to the recently published Practitioner's Guide to the AIM Rules. I'm Tom Nichols, Head of Corporate and ECM here at Stevenson Harwood, and today's podcast is the second part of our conversation with Marcus Studdard, Head of AIM, which took place at the end of last year. I'm joined by my fellow partner and co-editor of the Practitioner's Guide, Tom Page. Talking about exits, and you, you briefly mentioned this earlier on, uh, the, the number of IPOs clearly this year has been impacted by, by COVID, but it's probably right to say that it has been um, more difficult for IPOs in the last few years for probably a number, a number of reasons, and we... Uh, advisors and stakeholders in the market are forever saying that uh, this is just a, a blip and we'll be back to numbers of IPOs that we had just a few years ago. But do, do you think that's right in the near to midterm? Yeah, we're definitely seeing um, you know, a very significant pickup in, in, in the, the pipeline. You know, you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of private businesses have really, you know, seen the benefits of the public markets over the last nine months and, and having the benefit of, of access to you know, really the broadest set of capital uh, and investors. And so, you know, not only are we seeing the pipeline develop, but also, you know, I think the fact that businesses have been able to conduct, if you like, virtual IPOs, in some instances has actually sort of broken down some of the regional and and international barriers that existed. So, you know, clearly, you know, what what companies that are preparing a significant transaction don't like is volatility. And, you know, we, we have had um, you know, a number of external factors, as you say, over recent years, whether it's been, you know, general elections, referenda, um, Brexit, and then, the, you know, the pandemic, which, you know, have created challenges. Um, but, you know, the the core purpose of the markets and their resilience has really been shown. And, and we're seeing, you know, a very strong pipeline. And Marcus, within that pipeline, are, are there particular uh, areas or sectors you, you anticipate for the looking forward over the next 12 months or so, which are, are there seems to be more interest? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, technology um, is, uh, well, it's a theme that runs through a lot of businesses and a lot of sectors, actually. But, you know, we've seen you know, a real sort of uh, uptick in focus on, um, you know, on technology companies on both AIM you know, and the main market um, and also, you know, healthcare. But, but you know, in addition, you know, we've seen you know, even sort of companies and sectors that you might not have expected um, to see IPOs from, you know, like hospitality, you know, actually, um, you know, IPOs coming from, from a broad range of sectors, including, you know, metals, mining. Um, and so, I, you know, I think both investors and the management teams of these companies are recognising that coming out of the pandemic, there are going to be 
um, opportunities for growth. And I think you know companies that are well capitalised will will obviously be in a good position to benefit from some of those opportunities. So you know across sectors we're seeing companies raising capital sometimes to be opportunistic to be able to make acquisitions. You know as as we emerge from the pandemic. So that's quite a long way of saying you know whilst we do see some sectors like technology and healthcare you know, being um, being very strong, that actually we would expect the pipeline to be strong across, you know, actually a broad range of sectors. And talking of trends, one of the big questions around the coronavirus crisis is to what extent are the, are the trends that have emerged, ones that were already emerging and the crisis has been an accelerator, or in fact have things happened during this crisis that will, will peter out? And one of the things that we've seen on, on AIM and, and the other markets is increased retail participation, so, so in, in trading, uh, but also in uh, taking part in, in non-preemptive offers. And, and, and that's partly been enabled by technology and new platforms. The primary bid one is, is perhaps the most visible. And we've spoken to some of the other participants in this series of podcasts about this who are enthusiastic about their retail customer base. Do you see that as continuing on the AIM market or is that just a, a feature of 2020? No, we, we see that as a, as a much longer term uh, trend. And it's, it's something that you know, we have been you know, very much supporting and trying to encourage for all, you know, a number of years. So, you know, if you think of, of a number of the tax changes that have been made sort of historically, so for example, you know, the inclusion of AIM shares into ISAs and the abolition of stamp duty, you know, those, those changes really were focused on, you know, trying to build liquidity in the secondary market, broaden the range of investors and really bring, you know, retail you know, in, into the market. Um, and I think sometimes there have been some misperceptions about individual investors. And one of those in particular is that individual investors have a short time horizon and that you know, I think sometimes there's still a perception that individual investors, you know, buy into an offer and sell it quite quickly and, you know, sort of stag it. But actually, you know, that's not what either the anecdotal feedback from the, the wealth management platforms or the data that I've seen really, you know, doesn't support those sorts of arguments. So I think, you know, retail as a, a, a very valuable source of long-term capital and liquidity, you know, people are recognising. And, you know, when we saw the preemption group come out with the alleviances, you know, to enable... Um, companies to do you know, offers up to twenty percent. You know, they made a very strong statement about you know soft preemption and including retail on the, the same sort of grounds as institutional investors. And you know, so I, I think we will see those trends you know continue. And as you say, technology has it has really enabled um, individual investors to either. You know, kind of follow their money where they're you know, an existing investor in a company that's doing uh, follow-on capital raising, and increasingly, I think we will see retail included. Um, you know, back into IPOs, which in a way is doing a sort of full circle. When AIM was launched, you know, there was a you know a very strong retail participation 
in you know, in new issues uh, and IPOs, and you know potentially you know post the end of this year, you know we may well see some helpful changes to to regulation over the medium term around things like the prospectus regulation that really help to to you know, increase retail participation going forward. Although I guess it would be fair to say there's a balance between encouraging retail to come in and protecting retail, given that they're clearly a different category of investor to professional investors. No, absolutely. It, you know, it, it's to have any you know, well-functioning and robust capital market, you need a very broad range of investors from you know, individual investors with relatively small holdings to high net worth to the sort of, the, in Ames case, the tax incentivized investors that come, you know, either through EIS, VCT, business property relief, through to, you know, the the small cap fund managers and then the, you know, the, the global um, institutions. And you know, we are very fortunate because of, you know, AIM being part of the London capital markets, but also, you know, you know, London Stock Exchange and, and the broader community, you know, has worked very hard to 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 sort of build up that very rich and diverse investor ecosystem. Um, and and you know, we've tried to make sure that the the rules and the regulation and the disclosure is equally suitable for individuals as it is, you know, for for the world's largest institutions. Yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. So, I mean, we were we were talking earlier about you know some of the trends that we we have seen you know this year and, and how some trends have been accelerated. And you know, I think you know one of the things that we've we've you know heard a lot talk about this year is you know, how do we build businesses in a in a more sustainable manner. And you know, part of that is actually you know to the point of trying to make sure that businesses are not over reliant on debt and leverage. And so I think equity you know plays to that point. But also you know the transition to the green economy is clearly you know a very very important um, uh, aspect. And and it's more than just a trend. You know this, this is a, a very core part of the way that the economy develops going forward. So, you know, one of the things that we did last year to really um, highlight and profile the businesses that we have listed across the main market and admitted to AIM was to launch the Green Economy Mark, which is for companies that have more than 50% of their revenues coming from the green economy. Um, we did an update to that um, in the summer, and you know, so there are now eighty-six companies and 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 rising that have the green economy mark, and forty of those are on AIM. So there's a you know there's a really good spread there, and you know we what we also see is that investors are um, committing you know an increasing amount of capital to these businesses, you know that they're outperforming the the market in terms of share price performance quite often but also have been you know a very big part of the capital raising story this year um so you know expect to see you know an increased focus um on on this whole part of the market you know I mean, what i think what's been fantastic about the green economy mark as well is that um you know, we have seen companies that are thinking about an IPO, you know, applying for the green economy mark um, and using that as actually part of their IPO sort of messaging to to be able to attract um, 
uh, you know, impact and, and sustainable you know, investors right from the point of IPO. Marcus, one of the points you do mention in the new version of the guide is the introduction of the early notification requirement in the IPO process uh, a couple of years ago. Do you think that has been welcomed and is, is perceived as a benefit to the overall admission process? So I, I think the point there is that you know when we um, you know winding the clock back to 2017, um, when we issued the, the discussion document around AIM, you know we asked some very open questions about a whole range of uh, of features, you know whether it was corporate governance, free flow, early notification, to to get the market's kind of view and and nomads. Yeah, actually kind of welcome the fact that we were asking a question around the whole early notification process because it, it had already started and a lot of you know, nominated advisors were submitting you know, early notifications to, to provide themselves you know, and their corporate clients you know, with, with a bit more certainty. So in some ways, the introduction of that process was a sort of a, a market-wide codification of, of, of an emerging practice anyway. And I think, you know, I think the market has really welcomed it because it, it's provided a slightly more formal and codified channel for all nominated advisors to have those conversations at a very early stage. And, and if they you know, themselves have issues or, or concerns or, or there are just you know, unique um, features of, of, a, of a business it, or, it, or a company's business model or the sector it's in or the jurisdiction it's coming from, you know, it's clear that they can have that conversation at an early stage, which I think is, is helpful for all all parties really. Um, and you know, the AIM regulation team is you know is very open, very hands on, and you know their their aim is to to you know have a conversation about the, these these issues and you know where there are potentially you know, issues that need working through to be able to do that and to be part of that process rather than things being flagged up at a you know at a late stage in the transaction so you know I, I think you know like any processes um it, you know it, it took a little bit of time for it to sort of bed down but I think it's very well established now and I think you know particularly in the sort of the market environment that we've seen this year I think it's been actually really helpful for for firms to be able to have those early conversations with the team. Marcus, many thanks for joining us today. Um, I hope you have a very relaxing break over Christmas and wishing you and AIM a very happy and active 2021. 